Welcome to Catastropod. I'm Molly Jane Ward, and today I have Justin Woolley, who's come to talk to me about zombie apocalypses. Introduce yourself. Uh, Tell us a bit about yourself. Um, thanks for having me. Oh. Oh. <laughs> um, my name's Justin. I'm the author of three books, A Town Called Dust, A City Called Smoke, and A World of Ash. And they are zombie apocalypse books set... Um, about 200 years post-zombie apocalypse in the Australian outback, kind of in and around Alice Springs. So I like zombies and zombie apocalypse-related stuff. That was my first question that I was going to ask you, is um, whether classic zombie apocalypse media influenced you in writing this book and, like, what what were those texts? Um, yeah, they did. I, I like classic zombie movies like Night of the Living Dead and and stuff like that. I always loved watching them. But I kind of like um I like the zombie media that focuses on people or um you know the, the civilization that's left more than mm-hmm. the sort of hack and slash zombie stuff. So that's where my books are kind of more focused on, you know, 200 years post zombies what would the sort of surviving society looked like. So in that way, I um, it was probably uh, yeah. So probably influenced by Justin Cronin's work. So he wrote a trilogy, um, which is the Passage, the Twelve, and City of Mirrors, and they're really focused on like what I guess a realistic view of zombies, in, as in what how could they actually happen? And then his books are on sort of like up to, I think, like a thousand years post-apocalypse and, and looking at human society and how it might recover from an apocalypse. And do zombies obviously still feature all the way up to a thousand years in the future? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's about, mostly about um, a girl, Amy, her name is, and she's born, sort of lives now, and she is basically made immune to the zombie virus and lives for like a thousand years Mm -hmm. so she's like the whole way through she's sort of the central character that comes in and out and ties all the different eras together so it's really interesting and i like the yeah like i said the way he focuses on what people will be like what society might, might be like so it was that sort of stuff that in a way even things like game of thrones is obviously does have zombies in it in a way in a way yeah but the more the idea like the the political intrigue you know that goes on between different like houses that influenced a bit about my book in terms of what is quite a powerful religious group in the book and Mm. then the government and they sort of in a way have that sort of this tension where they're playing off each other and trying to sort of manipulate the people that are left and stuff like that so i kind of like that focus on on um, texts or whatever that focus on people rather than the zombies, but mm-hmm. the zombies are sort of there as the external threat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, I noticed uh, with your sort of ruling system, I found that really interesting that it was the government and the church. Mm. Yeah, having that binary of the the government and the church being in control and exerting influence as well as having the zombies, mm. um, I thought created like a really nice tension. Mm. Um as you um, can see, I have like my yeah, book yeah, out. Lovely. I've been rereading it. One thing a lot of 
zombie stuff doesn't do is like a religious element. Because yeah. I kind of think if the world's gone to shit and there's zombies everywhere, a large section of the population will turn to religion or find, try and find that sort of answer or explanation for what might be going on. So I thought that the the church, even though it's not, you know, in 200 years post-apocalypse, it's not necessarily the same church we have now. I'm not I really love the prophet Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a bit of an But that was really cool. <laughs> um, so it's like a bit, it becomes quite a controlling force because I think a lot of people would turn to that religious. Especially when you've got dead people literally yeah. getting up and like walking that's around. that's religious shit right there. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I think that maybe you'd sort of be so shocked and, and yeah. thrown by that that you'd search for answers anywhere. Yeah. I like that whole tension that is between man versus zombie and man versus man yeah that seems to come into play in a lot of um zombie apocalypse fiction in that like we can't even humans are so flawed that we can't even unite against fucking zombies to and stop killing each other why do you think that a lot of zombie apocalypses seem to have that i think it's because people are the worst people are terrible yeah yeah People are the worst. People really are awful. It's, I think it's uh, like Walking Dead is a really great example. You know, you, they find a place they think is going to be safe and it's like that crazy governor or they have this, you know, people fight over resources or whatever or they go to that farm where they think, oh, we, oh we've got lots of meat. So I think it's because... To me, at least, the zombie apocalypse or the overwhelming horde of monsters type thing is, like, not the central part of the story, right? So, if you look at, like, a lot of other horror monsters like werewolves or vampires, they become, like, the singular focus. They're the scary thing. But I think with zombies, it's like the overwhelming, like, you're facing... impossible odds Mm. just you know millions of zombies everywhere and we kill one and 10 more take its place and that feeling of being overwhelmed so i think like that like that that it becomes like an overwhelming pressure to drive conflict like human to human conflict and so you've got this overwhelming odds where the world's turning to shit and what you have left to survive on is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and so people do what they've always done when like rats scrambling to the top of a sinking ship yeah exactly so it becomes like a literal fight for survival Mm. and death is everywhere at all times and so you you become i think you know people to use the overwhelming odds of the zombie the horde thing as a driver to say well what would people do what would humans do would they band together and unite and try and fight maybe some or, might or would they continue to be as terrible as yeah. they or always they, are or are we the zombies <laughs> are we the horde that's destroying the planet in regards to potential survival what do you think would be your survival rate like where would you factor mm. in in the zombie apocalypse how would i personally do yeah pretty probably rubbish i feel like i'd want to i want to feel like i've played enough video games <laughs> where i can be like hand me the shotgun and like a, a baseball bat with nails in it mm-hmm. and we're gonna go and do this but i'm pretty sure i'm too unfit and 
I'm like we'll. I'm presently drinking kombucha out of a Hello Kitty mug, <laughs> so I'd be amongst the first to fall. <laughs> I think. I yeah, I think everyone likes to think they would do well, but you know, that's part of the zombie thing, right? Like it being everyone likes thinking about how they'd go in zombie apocalypse because it's the kind of apocalypse you think you can fight like mm. if well you, you have it's not yeah. like a virus it's yeah, not like yeah. a nuclear kind of apocalypse it's, it's literal yeah. things that you can fight and yeah. and it's survival isn't out of your control it's in your control if you could just be badass enough yeah. to continue right. fighting and i think like i i mean that's why i like i like i watched when i was a kid you know watched night of the living dead and movies like zombie movies or whatever mm. and i watched you know like horror movies grew up watching horror movies you know the exorcist and um all of those sorts of movies they didn't scare me the movie that scared the shit out of me when i was a kid was that fucking outbreak oh yeah yeah because there's nothing you can do no there is that scene i had a nightmare when i was a kid about that scene in the cinema where like the sick guy with like ebola or whatever it is or the super virus is in the cinema and he sneezes and all these little bits of snot and saliva flow into the air and everyone's laughing in the cinema and breathing that shit in and then everyone's in the hospital dying. Yep. I'm like, fuck this. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, all the only way that you can survive an apocalypse like that is to be mysteriously immune. Yes. Um, it's so random and, like I said, you can control how you fight. Mm. Yeah, you but at you least can't control your own immune system. That's right. At least with a zombie, you can, at least I'm going down swinging here yeah like, you're not like coughing yourself to death yeah. in like a, a yeah. mass hospital yeah, in a gym somewhere people with like yellow hazmat suits on yeah no good no. bleeding from the eye <laughs> <laughs> it's not a pretty way to go no. but yeah that's right i think you, i think people like the idea because at least you can fight it at least you can have a go at you know taking down some zombies and um, what's your favorite zombie apocalypse world what um, Justin Cronin's, which is you know, what I was talking yep. about before, that's really cool. And his zombies are sort of, they're at, they're, there's 12, like, they're kind of half zombie, half vampire, I guess. Yeah, so kind of like, is it Richard Matheson's yeah, I, Am I Am Legend? Legend? Yeah, exactly. So they come only come out at night time and that sort of thing. So they've got, there's sort of 12 main baddies, for want of a better term, who are initial kind of ones that the virus comes from and they're all like um serial killers and stuff because the government was experimenting with this mm-hmm. virus on people in prison like maximum security convicts and who so of course like you know 12 of the nastiest people become like the mega vampires and mega mm. zombies and then they spread your know, bite and spread out the virus but everyone that they that is is uh becomes like a zombie is kind of telepathically linked to their seed like one of the 12 so they're kind of like they're the they're the only ones that are smart the rest are all kind of like zombie mindless things but they do what that oh so they do their bidding yeah kind of so it is like in that respect it's well i mean that kind of harkens back to the I believe the original form of zombies, which is yeah. a, a slave to do. That's right. Haitian and African voodoo. It's all about. Well, that, that's the thing. Like zombie originally 
in Haitian and voodoo is like a a single corp reanimated corpse to be your butler basically. Yeah. Like having a dead Jeeves. <laughs> like they're like someone like a voodoo sorcerer or whatever would raise a corpse from the dead and that person would become a slave to you. Mm. And there was only like one of them, you know, it's not like it was it was only really like I am legend and um Night of the Living Dead that brought that whole zombie zombie horde. horde and if you bite you get bitten by a zombie you become a zombie all that sort of stuff came from was pretty modern yeah and it i think that it has that modern spin on it in that most zombie apocalypses are caused by a virus yeah rather than by magic that's right yeah it becomes more it's a more at least certainly recently it's become a more they try and make it like scientific in that you know it comes from a virus or you know, they or, or, or a, the cure for cancer gone wrong, or, or a a girl with all the gifts. Yeah, what it's a spore. Yeah, yeah, like a fungal yeah. infection. Yeah, so like a nasty yeast. It <laughs> 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 just kind of goes there. a little bit too far. Um. So. Uh, hey, I really wanted to ask before I forget, because if I don't say a thought as soon as I have it, I will completely forget it. Yeah. Um. What made you spin off from the standard form zombie? Um. So that was. I wanted to write a book. Um, before I knew I was going to write a zombie book, I wanted to write a book set in the Australian outback, a post-apocalyptic book, because the outback Australia is basically a, an apocalyptic wasteland, which is why Mad Max and stuff like that works mm-hmm. so well set there. Um, and then I just sort of just, yeah, started writing about these creatures and stuff. And they are... So the zombies in my book are called ghouls, which is... Like, because you can't call them zombies. That's the, the trope, right? Yeah. Which I'll, like, I think it, it I think that stems from not, not wanting to use that Haitian voodoo term. You know, like a lot of people think, you don't, you call them walkers or you call them the infected or you call them something else as a trope. But I think that really came about because people trying to separate away from zombie as like a cultural appropriation yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Bit of, bit of a tangent. Um, so, <laughs> um, I was setting the book in Outback Australia and writing about these creatures. And I, so I wanted the zombies in my book to reflect the the environment, the, the landscape. Setting. Yeah. So instead of being like wanting to eat your brains and eat your flesh, the the zombies in my story are like dry and desiccated and kind of um, crumbling away to dust. So they seek moisture. So they're actually trying to drink you rather than eat you. So in that mm. respect, they're sort of vampirish too, I suppose. Yeah. But, yeah, they want to absorb the moisture out of their bodies because they're constantly losing it and dry and, and um, yeah, crumbling. So it's sort of to reflect that sandy, dry desert landscape. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting, like an interesting form for them to take. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I mean, like it's, it's hard to do something new with... It um, is. It is hard the to genre. Do which is, I think, why a lot of people don't like zombie fiction across any medium because the same thing's been done so many times. If you say, like, oh, it's a zombie book, people who are... Oh, it's going to be like a band of people running around with baseball bats yeah, and, it's like, blowing the heads like off zombies. a zombie thing and they're all and they're in, like, a supermarket and, you know, whatever. So yeah. I think people just... I mean, I've done plenty of, like, conventions and, you know, book signings or whatever, and people come up to you and say, 
you know, what's your book? And the last thing I start with is, is a zombie book because they just go blank face. Oh, that's all right. Oh, I might come back. How do you sell your book? I'd say it's post-apocalyptic. Yep. Um, set in the Australian outback. And that usually gets people's interest. Mm. Um, uh, Mad Max meets The Walking Dead is yep. the kind of way I sell it. So... Like it, de- I mean, I definitely tell people about zombies, but at some point, at some point, yeah. like they don't want them when to they've already paid for the book. Yeah. Oh, and there's zombies, and <laughs> then they're like, oh, oh, can I? No chance. No, Bye. no return. <laughs> no. So it, I think it, it. I've already signed it. Signed it. Yeah. <laughs> can't can't sell it to anyone else. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that the post. Lots of people like post-apocalyptic fiction, though. You know, and it's definitely more. post-apocalyptic than it is hack and slash zombies. Yeah, definitely. Um, I thought that it was more political intrigue than it was hack and slash zombies. Yeah, and it was a hard sell always, even for my agent when I first wrote it, it was a hard sell. Lots of people were like, lots of publishers were like, oh, we like it, but we don't know what it is, like how to sell it or what it is or where it fits. Is it a zombie book? Is it a horror book? Is it a um, young adult like book is it a whatever so a, a fantasy or science fiction so yeah i just sort of have to try and you know tell people what's about and hope they like it hope they like the sound of it and then when they read and it give it an actual chance yeah. yeah um it's a bit like girl with all the gifts which you mentioned before because that's my part from my book my go-to uh book when people say they don't like zombie mm-hmm. stuff is I say you should read The Girl With All The Gifts because that book is amazing and it's a zombie book but it's doing something totally, totally new totally with the new. genre yeah mm. um, which is I think like anything right when you get any genre that gets totally like swamped by the same story over and over again cough superheroes cough cough vampires <laughs> cough vampires so like you know you have I mean, there are always people that do it the same thing well, if you know, you know, like the same, like vampires. If you read, like, Salem's Lot, right? Like mm. Stephen King, that book is a fairly standard vampire, vampire narrative, story, yeah. But it's amazing, right? Because it's Stephen King and he. Because he, of what he does with it. Because he does, exactly, is what he does with it. And, but not everyone can pull off the standard thing and not make it seem like everything else. So. I certainly didn't want to write a... I mean, there's there's some hack and slash fighting zombie bits in the book, but it's certainly not about that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think with the desiccated zombies, there's like a distinct lack of gore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's sort of a different sort of gore. It's, mm. more, it's not all gruesome blood and guts. It's sort of more of like the idea of a disintegrating kind of person, what that would look like. And the, um, the fear of having your essence yeah, drained from you. Yeah, yeah. and left as like a husk kind of thing and then you get up and start walking around too if and do it to other people. So I think, um, which is, you know, part of the whole zombie thing is you, even if you don't manage to survive, you die, get up and start doing the same thing to other people, which is like something I think people find horrifying hor- well, yeah. yeah fascinating in the horrifying way like well i mean there's a no I, I admit that i've not read it all because there's this book called i zombie by hugh howie who wrote the wolf series mm-hmm. and he 
wrote this book as so it's the zombies act in a speci- in that typical zombie fashion going around eating people etc except the person who was who the zombie was is still in there yeah locked in and unable to fight oh so they're in there just along for the ride yeah not able to fight the urges of of a zombie yet completely horrified by what they're doing and i actually only read a few chapters of it and it was just so horrifying yeah, that's scary, that right. I couldn't continue. And I thought that was a really interesting kind is, of yeah. take on the on the genre. Yeah, you see it start to change like any genre that cuz zombies was pretty heavily done over probably 5 to 10 years ago, I guess. Yeah. Really heavily done. A lot of zombies um like world, when World War Z came out. Yep. And so it I think you see, you start to see from people who are writing or creating stories in that genre, a kind of rebellion against the normal idea of the story. So, and I think that's what um, The Girl with All the Gifts is a bit, and it's what something like Santa Clarita Diet, have you mm, watched that? Yeah, I've watched yeah. the first season of that. Yeah, so I think that's what that is, right? That's like a pushback against the normal idea of a zombie story. And then there was that um, book my life as a white trash zombie which is pretty cool and that's like a the same sort of thing like a the 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 kind of the zombie that becomes semi-intelligent so they want to start telling stories from the zombie point of view by diana rowland yeah great book um and it it, it's the same and there's uh, a few like that where like there was like zombie love stories and stuff like um, Uh, warm bodies warm bodies yeah so you get this sort of change in the genre, I think, as people start, you know. Um, I think the I think the initial swing back against the traditional zombie narrative was my favourite zombie film of all time, Shaun of the Dead. Oh yeah, which came exactly. out, I believe, in two thousand and three, and kind of long ago? yeah, but yeah. it's it's very before its time. Yeah, no, Shaun of the Dead is great. I like anything that takes a a genre, not normally funny and ties comedy into it like i just love that and, um you know but all of those movies cornetto trilogy <laughs> they're all great they're all great they're yeah. all great so i like that your zombie apocalypse in a town called dusk and the um sequel is many generations removed from the initial event yeah because a lot of zombie apocalypse fiction and media tends to be the event is the film or yeah, the book. Like it's happening now. Yeah, mm-hmm. so seeing something that's set so long after and thinking about what kind of society would develop uh, with that constant over overwhelming threat of mm. hordes of zombies at their doorstep or at the gate or mm. at the fence. Why did you choose so far into the future? I think it was it's because of sort of what I talked about before. The, the actual apocalypse part, you know, has been done so many times. And I didn't really think I could do it any better or differently mm-hmm. or anything. Yeah. But the idea of, like, how society changed to cope with being surrounded by zombies all the time, that was what fascinated me. So it was not so much the virus that, you know, spreads out from patient zero and then, you know, World War Z style, like, you know, the army's got to come in and they got to fight it and then they get wiped out and it all spreads. All that stuff is just sort of 
so done so well by so many people and it's a bit like the origin story of the of the zombie everybody knows the zombie apocalypse what that's going to look like yeah everyone's got an idea of you wake up in the morning and your roommate comes out like all <laughs> bloody and gory and tries to eat you and you have to run out the door and you know you go outside and there's zombies everywhere and car alarms are going off and there's stuff on fire and your phone doesn't work everyone knows that yep. so i didn't want to have to do it and so i also don't even really mention it it doesn't get mentioned e- at all through the three books the actual apoc- like event yeah um and being set in the future i kind of had the opportunity to make this like we spoke about before like a religion based around the apocalypse so there's you know the religion in the book the church believes that that was basically a another plague from god to wipe out mankind who are full of sin and all that sort of stuff so that becomes their almost like the creation event for the world they know is, yeah. is the zombie apocalypse. And then um, it allows me to use it in almost like a mythical way. So these people living in the centre of Australia, surrounded by a giant fence. Like well, they've never even seen a zombie. They, well, lots of them have never even seen one because they're out past the fence the whole time. And like they've never... So they talk about things like oceans and whales and stuff as being mythical Mm -hmm. things so no one even like lots of people don't even believe there's such a thing as an ocean because they've never never seen one and they live in this dry desolate place and so yeah i just like the idea of of building myth around that apocalypse rather than having it the main event um so in your book i noticed that men and women tend to fall into more traditional roles why do you think that when the apocalypse comes, regardless of the type of apocalypse, that humans revert to more traditional mm. structures or even like even sort of de-evolve in their intelligence and their technology? Mm. I think it comes down to like what you think the well like the worst aspects of that would come out of humanity in that survival situation. And, and for me, it was like um, a really dominant controlling religion mm. and that oppresses people and, well, and the government that oppresses people too to, to, main, to maintain control. And in their mind, they're trying to protect people and keep them within the fence and control them because... For their own good. For, their, for everyone's good because out if they know what had happened in the, the end of the world. So... I think it's about, yeah, but people sort of revert, they drive back a lot of cultural change and stuff that we value now. Sort of adding a religious or clinging to a religious aspect of things helps not explain what's happened, maybe to explain what's happened. Yeah. Um, because, because there's no way of knowing how it all started, uh, especially that far in the future, having that whole, oh, well, it was a, a punishment from God yeah. is a way to one exert control over people and two actually make sense of the kind of world that you're living in yeah yeah so i think and i mean i wanted to touch on a few which i think fiction you know always does is hold up a mirror to sort of our world and the author's opinion of things and i i wanted without being heavy-handed wanted to sort of um engage with the ideas of religious oppression and particularly in australia um 
the idea of like oppressing the indigenous population to to some extent and i don't like i said i don't swing like a heavy hammer and bang on about it too much but it's certainly there the idea that even 200 years in the future the indigenous population is still being oppressed and still and and resources still being taken from them and so um uluru makes an appearance that is somewhat problematic oh most definitely i was kind of um was thinking about that a lot and i know i think i remember speaking to you about i know you address it in the yes in the the later books which which i haven't read because i'm a terrible person (laughs) and friend so yeah i did notice that Mm. the depiction of what had happened to uluru was very colonial and Mm -hmm. very potentially upsetting to indigenous people which is sort of that unfortunately that perfect example of what has been done to indigenous people in the past and um some may say and i would say is still happening to indigenous people in the present yeah so i was really glad that you like i said knowing that you addressed it made that sort of shocking aspect and and people who haven't read like i've had a lot of comment from people who haven't read the the other books yet or whatever about that particular thing about Uluru and a few depictions I mean that's the main one really in the first yeah. book what the uh the the people who have taken over that land have done to it yeah 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 and so I get I've had a few comments about that and it's it's always funny I guess as an author like <laughs> white Australian author particularly yeah. Yeah. like about engaging with that stuff like I didn't First and foremost, like writing a book in in Central Australia, I didn't want to whitewash it, right? Yeah. It's got to be, you know, I wanted to talk about Indigenous culture and I did so, um, like I said, with a quite a problematic image um, early on in the first book, which then gets sort of contextualised yep. later in the second and third book when... Um, so this, so the second book, starting with the second book, one of the main characters is an indigenous boy, and he, and his sort of people, I guess, comment more on their side of their view of what has happened. Well, I find to too that you've separated. Not only is there an oppressive government, oppressive church, but you've also separated the society in um, a town called Dust into. Um, into class structure, mm-hmm. which would definitely play into that. Um, yeah, so it's the rich live inside Alice Springs in the projected, like... In so a fence within a fence. Yeah, so there's a fence around all of sort of the territory, which the place is called, which, which keeps the ghouls out. And then within Alice Springs, that is also a walled city. So within that, the rich people live, and outside of that, there's sort of slums and mining town. Dirt and farms. Dirt farms, all that stuff where the poor people live. And within that, I guess the the outs the ones who live outside of Alice, there's nomadic tribes who live in a very similar way to the way Indigenous Australians live, and they you know they know the best way to live and survive in, in that kind that of landscape. Landscape. Do they live outside of the fence, um, or do well, they live within? They live within the fence, yep. but away from the major population okay. area. There are, I mean, spoiler alert, there are other places outside the fence, which love, which sort of, which gets touched on as well in the second and third book. But yep. yeah, the, the nomadic groups live within the fence, but they kind of, they know, they live in a more sustainable way. Yep. 
and so there's still and I mean knowing the binaries that separate people within that class structure that you've created I mean living in a sustainable probably more um, equal society that happened to be nomadic yep. is quite is quite appealing mm. um, looking at Lynn whose only option for life was what to go into the the order of sisters yeah. in the church and having that binary between the boys going to be soldiers the yeah. women going to be nuns it's, it's not it's like really the the best of two terrible fucking yeah, options yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so i can see that the way that a nomadic society that potentially yeah, is more so equal would be so appealing yeah and there becomes kind of later on a bit of a clash between so because the church wants to control everyone but these this sort of the nomadic groups don't abide by their kind of religious views i guess so there's a bit of a you know clash between the 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 nomadic people who still hold on to um i guess you know the the view of the land as the indigenous people view it which is you know like they live in partnership with the land they don't just take from the land which is what they see the people living in alice springs doing so yeah, I mean that that whole thing was tricky to navigate as an author, I guess, wanting to talk about those things and do it in a respectful way. Yep. Um, I I understand exactly where you're yeah, coming from. Yeah, well, you would, of course, because you've got an indigenous character in your book, and it's you want to you want to talk about issues, but not tell somebody else's story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't like. I don't think that's what I was doing. Um, but, yeah, like I said, I, I definitely had comment about it and some animated comment yep. towards me at times, which is good. Like, And I guess I sort of just say, you know, as an author, you're not... So I depict um, kind of Uluru being, um, you know, used... T- it's turned into a fortress. Yeah, it's turned into a fortress. Basically an army fortress to maintain, like, to maintain control of that area and stuff. And which is, you know, would be... Um, offensive to indigenous people who view it as sacred area. So I guess it, it's hard as an author because you don't like that's not my view. Like mm. I wouldn't do mm. that. But <laughs> you know, it's like Justin Woolley himself would not <laughs> yeah. do that. Please yeah. make note of that. No, like the, you kind of feel like that sometimes. Yeah. You feel like people think because you write something in a book that you're trying to make a point about that you would personally feel that way. I guess. Yeah. So. It's yeah, it's it's tricky to navigate sometimes as an author that sort of thing. And like my like I said, I'm not I'm not Indigenous Australian. I'm actually technically Indigenous um, New Zealand <laughs> New Zealander. My my background is Maori, so even though I'm the whitest <laughs> Maori area, <laughs> um, but so like you yeah, you want to do it in a respectful way. And um, but a lot of that you're talking about um, earlier about the binary division so there was you know the the rich the poor the religion and the government and all that sort of stuff a lot of that positioning of of men and women into distinct roles Mm -hmm. you know a lot of that was to then have characters that challenge those things you know so like lynn you mentioned earlier wants doesn't want to join the church she hates the idea of that church and wants to um go and join the army like the diggers like her father and so she wants to do a role that is exclusively reserved for men, but obviously 
she's a she's a girl and she's not allowed and everyone tells her she's not allowed to do that and so I think that's what you do in fiction is you set up pretty distinct even sometimes unrealistic binaries in your story and barriers yeah and barriers and then you have characters come in and challenge those things which creates conflict which creates story exactly so as I always ask my guests at the end of Catastropod what would you do in the apocalypse so people tend to have like like certain skills that they take with them into into an apocalypse of any kind what do you think you would do in the apocalypse what would be your apocalypse job um, well, I'm apart from an author, I'm an engineer in my. Oh, you've got book life. smarts. So I've got I I can build things. That would be my. I'd like to lean on on my engineering knowledge of trying to, you know, maybe keep things running like the generators running, the power going to whatever our little our alcove hidden away in the bush or whatever. I think that would probably be my my job. Finally, I have a section that I like to call tips for the apocalypse. Do you think that there are any particular skills or any particular like tips that you have that would help people in, a, in an apocalyptic situation? Perhaps like you can draw mm. on your um, occupation as an engineer mm. that might assist people in the apocalypse. I mean, there's certainly some, there's some lessons in my book, which is, you know, like probably don't go to Alice Springs. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe don't form a um, oppressive religious Order government or something. Yeah, yeah. But I think your your skills that you'd want going into an imp- apocalypse is um, know how to grow food. Mm. I think is an important mm. one. And drawing cert- drawing on my engineering, I think then there's you know you need you do need people who could rebuild a lot of technology that we're pretty dependent on because i think once once the technology goes there goes a lot of people yeah right once once you're back into the stone age without electricity and running water uh, you know i feel like that's why a lot of apocalypses do revert back to the feudal or religious type or theocracies because once we lose technology, uh, things tend to go to shit. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's. I mean, what are you me sitting here with my glass of kombucha, like. <laughs> well, like, where are you gonna tweet? You can <laughs> write that on a wall in a cave. No, <laughs> no one gives a no shit. One cares no about one that. gives a shit. <laughs> like that's what it is. Because in the apocalypse, you're just trying to survive. No yeah. one gives a shit about what you're wearing today. Yeah. Well, if you like, if you have um, your like you said before about going back to the feudal thing, like the feudal society or, or society, you know, if you look at the kind of way human society has changed over time, it all revolves around the ability to provide food. Mm. So once people figured out agriculture, that's when other people could have jobs other than looking for food all mm. the time, mm. like learning how to make things out of stone and wood and you know metal, metal learning how to yeah, to combine stuff. metals and yeah so once you have someone who can feed more than just themselves and their family suddenly that frees up other people to do other things other jobs so i think once you get back if we have a total breakdown of society and and you can't go down to coles and the supermarket and get yourself your milk in in a jug and some bananas and you know some bread well if you don't know how to grow your food, you're pretty much fucked, I reckon. So I'm up shit creek then. Oh, I am too. Like, I've I'm just hoping 
I can maybe some engineering knowledge. I can trade that for some food. That'll mm-hmm. be my. I my can only just keep pot plants alive, and if you'll notice, my pot plants oh, aren't I'm looking super mm, good at I'm the moment. I'm also a pot plant serial killer, so <sighs> I've done pretty well with these ones. I'm surprised, but um, I don't think that translates very well to growing vegetables outside. No, like I killed, I kill succulents on the regular. Oh, dude, and that is like <laughs> that's a that's a. <laughs> That's a talent and a half. Yeah. That actually takes effort. <laughs> well, I don't... Yeah, like, there... Maybe I am just, like... Maybe plants are allergic to me. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Justin Woolley will be amongst the first of all. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me today on Catastropod. And, um, yeah, take a look for Justin Woolley's books, A Town Called Dust. Um, City Called Smoke and A World of Ash. Those are the ones I haven't read yet terrible person and friend (laughs) so i'll see you next time on catastropod and uh like i always say pod fucking save us